So first thing, I got a bone to pick with just everybody in general about customer service. Um, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that we try to teach here, uh, that we have to teach here, is you have to put the customer's needs ahead of your own, ahead of your own comfort, ahead of your preference, ahead of your convenience. Um, if you cannot have a customer-focused attitude, you will not survive in business. You can survive for a little while, especially in a big market like we had in 2021, 20, 22. There was just so much money to be had that you could just do stupid, I mean, all over the place, and it would work. But now in this market, um, you cannot, th this is the time when businesses die because you have to be focused um, on your customer and you, you know, you've got to, you got to work really hard to find them. And when you do find them, you better take care of them. And so I've had a couple of experiences over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'll start one with a restaurant experience. Now I'm not going to say the name of the company cause it doesn't matter. It's not the point. Okay. But I went to my favorite pizza establishment this week. And this is a place that I worked when I was like 19, 20. So 95, 96, I worked there. I worked there again in 2006. And I worked there under the same manager that still runs the store today. Well, back then, there did not exist a store close to my house. There is now. But it's not like a full-blown restaurant. So anyway, my son and I, I had my nine-year-old with me. He's my, he's my little assistant. He's my, my junior mechanic, forklift operator, um, go-getter, gopher, right? And uh, we loaded up some engine parts that we had in storage because we have an engine being rebuilt right now. And <clears throat> it's right behind this piece of place. And so we get done. He's like, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, what do you want? He's like, I want pizza. So I know what that is. He wants a little personal size, you know, a little four or five-inch pizza, whatever it is, and he wants a Pepsi. So I go on my app, I order it, and then I wait 10, 15 minutes. And I go in to get the pizza, which should be a little square box with a little circle pizza. Well, I have to wait a little bit longer for it to be done. And this kid walks up to me and he hands me a rectangular-shaped box, like breadsticks would come in. And I must have looked at it funny because he was like, oh, there's a there's a personal in there. I just used that box. I'm like, oh, okay, no big deal. Now, anyone that has ever had a child or known a child, um, if you're dealing with children, they have really, really, really nonsensical, illogical um, ways of eating, okay? Um, you know, if you make toast... Well, you better cut it the right way. If you make a grilled cheese, don't cut it this way. Cut it that way because it don't taste the same. So I get out to the truck. I open the box, and, and, and inside the box, I don't find a circular four- or five-inch pizza. I find a rectangle. And I thought, <clears throat> he ain't going to do this. He ain't going to do it. So I walk back in the store. I'm like, hey, y'all, this is not a personal-sized pizza. And they said, uh, well, we didn't have any of those made up. And I know what that means. At this particular pizza establishment, the dough comes frozen in a disc. And you have to set that disc in a pan and then put it in a proofer. 
and then it has to rise. It has to thaw out and rise naturally. It takes, I don't know, an hour, whatever it is. So they didn't have them prepped up. And I'm like, okay. Now, I've had issues here before at this location where things have changed, not been available, and I don't find out until I get there because they don't, they don't pick up the phone and call me. And, and so I'm just thinking, God, not this again. So I said to the, to the people working, I said, well, why not, why not tell me? Why not give me a heads up? Because probably if they would have called me and said, hey, man, um, we don't have any of these made up, is this okay? And I probably would have said, no, probably not going to be okay. I'll just pass and come back around the next time. Uh, again, children are illogical. And when I'm, and when I'm doing this, there's a lady, another customer, grandma, and she's laughing and chuckling. And she's like, oh, yeah, I got grandkids. Circles and rectangles don't taste the same. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's, let's not get in a battle of rectangles and circles. So I'm trying to be reasonable. And I'm trying to, I'm like, guys, just, just let me know. And they're just not hearing it. And I, and I even, I said, look, guys, I'm in business. If something changes with my customer, I got to let them know, right? And that was going absolutely nowhere. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. And I just, I just left. I just walked out the front door. I thought, screw it. He'll either eat this or he won't. And then we'll be on to chicken nuggets or whatever. So I go back out to the truck. And I'm about to hand him this pizza and this Pepsi to have the conversation about circles and rectangles. And I hear yelled from the front door of the establishment, well, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, sir. Not today, motherfucker. I set the pizza down. I closed the door. I walked back inside and I said, nope, 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 nope. Not today. We're not doing this today. This is not going to go down this way, okay? So I'm going to call, and I named the manager that I worked for years ago by name. I said, I'm going to call her, and if I have to call the regional people, I'm going to call them because I'm not putting up with this, okay? Y'all y'all made a change. You didn't inform me, the customer. This is not my fault, okay? I was letting it go until Billy Badass, the, the delivery driver, chased me out the front door and had something to say. And they're still... Well, it's 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 crust and sauce and cheese. It's the same, and I'm going. It's literally not the same. It's not okay. And so, at this moment, a woman, another employee walks in who hasn't been there for the rest of this and screams at the top of her lungs as loud as she possibly can, screeching, "Get out! Get out! You're not going to come in here and cause trouble because you don't care about anybody's Thanksgiving." Now, the Lord Jesus sat down on my shoulder at that point and said, walk out the door before you punch this bitch in the mouth. And so I followed that leading, and I just walked out the front door. I've since had the conversation with my old manager, and to which I said, I, I was in her store, a different place, and I said, um, I've been on both sides of that counter. And she said, yeah, I know you have. And I said, have you ever found me to be unreasonable on either side of that counter? And she's like, absolutely not. And I said, you got to get, you got to get this under control. You can't, you just can't, right? Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter what it is. You cannot let people 
treat customers that way, even if they're wrong, even if they're wrong. And I see this kind of attitude among truck drivers that decide to buy trucks and trailers, decide to open a business, and then think they are the customer and that they can go do whatever the hell they want to do, wherever they want to do it, however they want to do it. They can be as mean and nasty and trashy, just not show up, just, you know, not call anybody, not tell anybody what's going on, not communicate with the customer. And it's just sad. And that's why I didn't say the name of the pizza place. It's not, that's not what this is about. We had coupons issued by Landstar for $25 off of a Thanksgiving meal. I have an email in my inbox right now from TA telling us how much they appreciate truck drivers this Thanksgiving season. So three of our drivers, of our 10, decided to stay out and run freight over this, over this holiday because they want to take time off at Christmas. So they're, you know, it was their decision. And we're like, hey, guys, you know, Landstar sent out this $25 thing. Just take it to a TA. Not one of them was able to get a meal. Two of them were prepared to pay cash for their meal. But the, the restaurant closed 30 minutes. They, they shut the gates 30 minutes before the restaurant actually closed. And they absolutely would not accept this coupon even though it had the, the company logo right there on it, because uh, they couldn't figure out how, well, we got to have a barcode, you know. Um, the number of times, remember when TA started issuing points on your app instead of having to go to the kiosk to print them out? And so you'd be in the restaurant and you'd want to take, what, $10 in points and apply it to your bill. The number of times that I had to show the server how to use their computer, I had to say, oh, no, listen, well, we don't know how to do that. We've never been trained. Oh, well, well, let me show you real quick. You push that button right there, and then you push that button, and then you put in this code off of the app, and voila. Why do I, the customer, have to show you how to work your damn register? So customer service has, has, has died this very slow and painful death over the last however many years it's, it's been going down. Um, the pandemic just basically poured gas on the fire, um, and, and allowed service providers to behave in ways that never ever would have been allowed before. And when I was talking to my former manager from, from the pizza place, I said, listen, man, back in the day, if any one of us ever treated a customer like that, you would have violently (laughs) assaulted us as you were kicking us out the door, telling us to never come back. And she goes, no, no, that's right. Um, And of course now she's in a position, you know, where she can barely get anybody to work anyway. And it's almost like you have to put up with this foolishness and nonsense. And, and we're fortunate to a great degree in that, that we're not trying to just hire truck drivers, that we have a very specific you know, you're coming here to do the program. You're not coming here just to get a job. That means that about 90% of the time 
we don't have to put up with that behavior because we're kind of the people that we're getting are a little are a cut above, or at least interested in being a cut above, and the chances of one of our people behaving that way toward a customer, though it happens, happened last week, um, and and that person's no longer employed here, um, but I don't. I rarely, rarely have to worry that one of our people is going to cuss out a customer, you know, or do something just really, really, really stupid. They're going to make some dumb mistakes and they're going to misload. They're, they're, they're going to make planning mistakes. That's a given. They're going to make trip planning mistakes. They're going to make errors. We're going to have to give loads back, but they're never going to be rude to a customer. Right. So that's something that I don't have to worry about. And I saw, um, Oh, who was it? Uh, what's his name? YouTube guy, Gentry and Sons. He had a, a an Instagram post today, or yesterday. Who you know? Instagram showed it to me today. Could be a month old. Um, but they're looking for drivers, right? And and the wording was interesting uh, of how it said, you know, if you've got if you've got the experience and and whatever. But basically, we're we're not putting up a foolishness, right? You like just like if you had a piece of real estate that you were renting out, okay. You have to make a calculation. Let's say you had 10 houses that you were renting out. One of those houses, probably per year, is going to get completely destroyed. It's going to happen. They're going to, they're, they're, they're going to, you know, put out cigarettes in the carpet. They're going to piss on the walls. They're going to tear the light fixtures out. Um, you know, somebody will live in your house, not pay you for six months. And then when you finally get them booted, they'll take all the copper pipe with them, you know? Well, if you haven't accounted for one of your houses getting completely destroyed in a calendar year, how are you going to handle it? And you can't pretend that it's not going to happen, right? I had one dropped off uh, Wednesday, four gallons low coolant iPad destroyed, cracked windshield, broken mirror. Um, well, guess who gets to pay for that? We do. That's part of the territory. When the dude abandoned the truck in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, well, Wisconsin. When the dude abandoned the truck in Wisconsin, I had to go get it. And we paid the rental car and we paid the fuel and we, you know, but you you can't build a business where everything works all the time because it's never, ever going to work all the time. Trucks are going to sit empty. You're going to hit a dry spell where you may say you got five trucks. What are you going to do when four of them are set, right? I, we've, I've had some troll in the TikTok just going nuts. I mean, dude just won't stop. Um you know, about how unsophisticated we are because we teach people not to have truck payments, okay? Well, all right, genius. Let's say you had a reasonable truck payment on five units and four of them are sitting still for 40 days. I hope you got some savings. Maybe you do. But what if the cuts keep coming, rates are down, fuel's up? Um, you know, the, the things, 
things happen. And they all happen at once. Do you have ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars liquid to get you through that? Our carrying costs on a truck are about two hundred bucks a week. I mean, so I mean a truck had set hell, ninety days. And it's not gonna put us out of business. They don't set that long. Okay. We got one getting an end frame right now because it dropped a valve the other day and destroyed the engine. Right? We still don't know why. We think it was a Jake brake malfunction. But that's gonna be twenty grand by the time it's all said and done. Now we're gonna get a, you know, probably million mile engine out of it. But the whole time that truck's sitting there, it's not making any money. We moved the driver to another truck so he can make money. We had an automatic lose a clutch last week or week before last. $6,500 to put a clutch in a 2017 Cascadia with a DT12. Because you don't, you, don't, you don't get the opportunity to just replace the clutch and the pressure plate. No, you get to replace the flywheel and the counter-rotating radius rod and the, and the module and all this other bullshit. $6,500 for a clutch. Um, I mean, I put a clutch in my truck years ago for like two grand, you know? Um, if you, if you aren't prepared to handle these these kinds of costs when they come, not if they come, when they come. Okay. And I don't, it doesn't matter if you're driving a 22 or a 23 or a 17 or an 04. Trucks are going to have catastrophic breakdowns. It's going to happen. Now, we do everything in our power to try to catch them. Lots of times, I'm, I'm going to say 85% of the time, you can see a catastrophic failure coming if you have a competent person inspecting them, you know, like with our 120 days. And I'm going to tell you right now, we've lived it because used to be, you know, Landstar requires the federal annual inspection every 120 days. So a week or so before that was due, we would run the truck through here and have Carl get under it, right? So every three and a half months or so, Carl was getting under these trucks. Well, Carl has been unavailable, as you all know. And it has shown up in our issues of maintenance because I'm, I've learned a ton, but I still can't see the stuff that he can see. You know, uh, it's 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 crazy how much um, he can see. That's just, it's almost like he's got x-ray vision. And I'm getting there. Um, but I can't trust the TA-120 people, you know, I mean, on one hand, I can trust them not to fail it, but I can't trust them to let me know, hey, this carrier bearing, hey, this spring bushing, uh, hey, this tower, like if it's legal or even close to legal, they'll pass it. But they won't tell you the kind of stuff that Carl would tell us because we wanted him with his x-ray vision and his superhuman, hey, man, you hear that air leak? I'm like, no, I don't hear nothing. Oh, gosh, you can't hear that air leak? No, still can't. Maybe I could, if I had one of those super-duper ultrasonic 
leak detectors. I could hear it. Um, but you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't hear that stuff. I got see, he would see a piece of rust. Like you see that rust right there? Oh gosh, boy, that's going to be a big problem. But this industry, for whatever reason, well, I know what the reason is. It's profit. It's it's corporate greed that wants you to keep the banks in business and the leasing companies in business and the carriers in business. And they want to try to tell you how easy this is. It's not easy. It's worth it. But show me something that's worth it that's ever been that easy. It, it, it's, it's owning and operating a truck is not easy. And to, to have such a cavalier attitude about it, like, well, I don't feel, uh, well, okay, but you're going to find out, right? It's not easy. It takes all of your processing power and you, and when you're, and it, again, it doesn't matter. It's not about trucking. If you own the pizza place, if you owned that location, it's going to consume your life because you always got to be thinking, well, what if I run out of that kind of dough? Or what if I don't have cheese? Or what if the refrigerator breaks? Then what am I going to What if the oven goes out? You have to be prepared for what's going to happen in your business. And I just, it terrifies me when I look at people that I can just tell have this cavalier attitude about operating a truck. Like, you know, well, this ain't nothing. I can drive a truck. And I'm going, dude, you do not see the giant freight train coming down the road that is going to hit you so hard and just knock the snot out of you. And then, unfortunately, a lot of them, when they get run over by that freight train, they never go, boy, I wish I wouldn't have been staying on those tracks. And they, 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 it's somebody else's fault they were on the tracks. I'm like, how the hell does that work? It was your fault. You made the decision. You bought that truck. You bought that trailer. You, you made those decisions, but yet you're not responsible for any of those decisions. How the hell does that work? There's no greater freedom than self-employment because your customers... They don't care about your race. They don't care about your gender, about your sexuality, about your religion, about your ethnic. They don't. They could not care less as long as you get the job done. They don't care about your criminal record, right? I was reading an article the other day, I should, and it's one of those deals, you know, I'm reading something and I should save it. But it was talking about how many felons basically have to go the self-employed route because traditional business will not hire them with a felony on the record. Okay, but if I hire somebody to, I don't know, dig a ditch, put in gutters or put a roof on or whatever, I promise you I'm not going to check their criminal record. 100% not going to do it. I'm going to get a recommendation. And as long as the person recommending me that that human who who can do that thing, I don't give a shit if they've been in prison. Does not matter to me. Now, I also don't care if they're kids in the hospital. Like it doesn't matter. They're they're only useful to me in the capacity that I need them to be useful. Outside of that, as a customer, I'm completely unconcerned. And I know that customers are also unconcerned about me. 
they don't they don't care about my kids or my wife or my parents or if I'm sick. If I can do the job, they're happy with me. And if I can't do the job, I'm useless to them. So I'm willing to accept um, that trade-off. You know, I, I'm I'm willing to accept that um, and be happy with that because I would rather have the freedom like I did in 2020 and 21 where I ignored all the rules and the mandates because my customers didn't care, right? Um, so I was able to not participate in any of that. And it didn't, there was no consequence. Now, had I been an employee of some big corporation and they could have threatened my livelihood if I didn't do this, that, or the other, but I was not in that situation because I cannot be controlled that way. So it's just a trade-off, you know. But to be in business and, and believe that you are not even more so beholden to other people than you were as an employee, it's ludicrous and it's dangerous um, because if you go get a job somewhere, Let's say, let's say you went to work for Schneider and you worked there at Schneider for six months. You're like, you know what? I don't like this. Screw Schneider. I'm going to go drive for U.S. Express. There's no, there's no financial implosion. You just go from one company to the next. But when you start a business and it either gets yanked or you yank it, the financial consequences can be absolutely devastating. Bankruptcy, repossession, which usually comes with its their good friend divorce, if you're not already. <laughs> if if you want to be in business, it's so easy to get in. It's so hard to stay. It's so hard to stay. My daughter's just got her first job, you know, at 17. A little coffee place, you know, and I'm just kind of looking going, never survive. You know, because everybody gets out, they just, they just so full of energy and they're, you know, but they just don't think about what happens at the moment of impending doom, which is coming in some form or fashion. Something's going to happen. Businesses uh, in a town local to me, right? But there was three or four food businesses got shut down for the day because of a water main break. Okay? Well, you can't control a water main breaking. But what if that one day of revenue was what it was going to take to keep you from going under? And now they're out of business. So... I just, I want y'all, I want everybody, I wish everybody could be self-employed. Um, and everybody can't. Not not everybody's built for it. Uh, we, we've seen that. I mean, look, you, if you're just about of any age, uh, 
in the United States today and you've come out of high school with a diploma and maybe had a couple of years of college or maybe even an associate's or bachelor's degree, let's just be honest. You're barely qualified to flip that burger, right? It, it, and I'm not removing myself from that. When I, when I graduated in 1994, I was barely qualified to walk and chew gum at the same time. And I see when people come in to this program, I see the struggle of making some, what to me are like super simple decisions. Should I take this interstate or should I take that one? And you see the, man, the gears are turning. There's molasses in there. And I don't know, should I do this or should I do that? And of course, they have no clue how to use our friend, the BSE 9000. No clue whatsoever. I mean, that that absolutely terrifies them. You know, being in business is worth it, but it is not easy. And please, for the sake of yourself and the sake of your families, do not get into business the way everybody else does it. Most businesses fail especially the first time. I mean, my God, go read any of one of these self-help books or the uh, what you call autobiography or biography of a, of a great business person. Y'all, the first like third of the book is how many times they failed. There's very rarely an instance of someone who struck gold the first time. It's so rare. It's fi- fail, fail fail, fail, and then boom. Then it finally hits. But you're going to fail. The the likelihood, the statistical, mathematical likelihood, if you get in business for the first time, the statistical likelihood is you're going to fail. In trucking, it's 95%. 95% of first-time owner-operators fail which that's our market, the first-time owner-operator. We're trying to grab you, and and right, you're at the cliff, and you're looking over, and you're getting ready to leap, and we're trying to reach out and grab you and pull you back. Say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't fall. Step back. Come back to the edge. Well, let's talk about this. Here's ways to do it where you can take that statistical, mathematical probability based on prior events that says if you get in business first time, you're going to fail. And we can drop that dramatically because Larry's got 50 years in business. Larry's failed before, right? But he's been in it long enough. He can show you the ways, and I can show you the ways that I've learned from him in combination with my trucking experience. We can show you how to come at this slowly, carefully, so that you still have business a year later, two years later, three years later. But this is not easy. You have to completely rewire your brain because you're not an employee anymore, except to the extent you write yourself a check. But you have to take all of those things that mattered to you as an employee no longer matter. And there are things that did not matter to you as an employee that now matter. And you have, so you have to take things out and put back in their place. Um, 
Well, because why should you care about if you're an employee? Why should you care about fuel mileage? Doesn't matter. Why should you care about maintenance costs as an employee? Doesn't matter. You shouldn't be thinking about that stuff. But as a business owner, let me remind you again, the great Cooksey Sugart, who told me 20, almost 25 years ago, son, profits in this business, in trucking, profits in this business are measured in pennies, not dollars. There's pennies laying all over the place. You just got to reach down and pick them up. Profits in trucking are measured in pennies, not dollars. And so many people have been programmed in this unbelievably stupid American society. Well, let's do things for a tax write-off. That's stupid. You're, you're, you're giving the government or you're giving the bank or, or Amazon, whatever. You're giving someone a dollar to keep from sending the government a quarter. Please explain to me how that makes sense. If you legitimately have to buy a tank of fuel, well, go buy the tank of fuel and then deduct it off your taxes. But to say, well, I'm going to go buy a new computer. I don't need a new computer, but I'm going to go buy a new $2,000 computer so I don't have to spend $500 to the government. That's insane. But we just do it because it sounds good. Well, I'm going to write off from my taxes. Um, it's illogical, right? It just this doesn't make any sense if you put that in a calculator. I mean, imagine you wanted to go make an investment in the stock market. Well, I'm going to give them $2,000, and they'll give me 500 back. What? But that's what people do every single day. They buy unnecessary things to get a tax write-off. Listen, taxation theft perpetrated by a criminal gang. I'm all about getting out of taxation. But don't send somebody over here money to keep from sending. Just just keep the rest, keep the $1,500, and just send the $500 to Ukraine, or I guess it's Israel now. Let me look at some comments here real quick. Uh, I saw him. Oh, did Landstar drop drivers of new authority? I haven't heard an official statement from Landstar, but from my understanding, I think they just took new carriers out. I don't know why their motivation was. It could be someone said it was because of fraud. I don't know. It could be because they're trying to reduce the capacity inside our system to to pull approved carriers out to make things available for us. I don't know. That sounds like a good plan for me. The problem with that is um, the problem with that is sometimes agents who have customers and need to move freight can't get it moved with a BCO and they need an approved carrier to take it. Um, I've talked to agents that said, well, listen, we'd love to have a BCO on this on this lane, but they won't call. And you can't force them. Um, you cannot take, you can't, nobody can force a Landstar BCO to take a load they don't want to take. 
it's that freedom thing again, you know. Sometimes freedom to be stupid, you know. Sometimes it's freedom to leave, you know, leave freight on the table or leave it on the dock or whatever. So I don't know, you know. If you're a first-time owner-operator and you've made it five-plus years, does that change the scenario or does the percent still apply? No, I would say that would absolutely change the scenario. Um, I would say after you've made it two years, if you get if you can get to the two year mark, I made it three. Almost to the day, I made it three years. Well, that's not true. I made it three years at Landstar, so I was almost four years. I had the truck paid for, so my truck was paid for, and I still failed. Right, um, but as I now know. When I, if I put my blue ribbon glasses on and I look at my operation from late 2013 to early 2017, I can tell you where the problems were. I didn't work enough. I did not generate enough revenue. I did pretty, I was pretty good at managing expenses. I could have been better, but that may would have, you know, 15% or something like that. Uh, but I didn't save money. We saved no money, none, zero. It was cash. Everything was cash, uh, cash flowed, everything, every repair, everything we did. Um, uh, but I now know that if I would have saved 18 cents a mile for every mile that I ran that truck, I'd still be in business today. And I would have wrote checks for stuff. I would have just went from the savings account and be like, oh, okay, here you, it's $5,000. Here you go. Um, but absolutely, if you've made it five years. And that's why I try to, you know, I, I get really offended on behalf of people that have their own authority um, with these, these knuckle-dragging numbnuts that come into my comment section and throw shade at us because we're leased to a carrier. Like they're, they're like they're, they're, well, they're so much better than us. Well, number one, I don't give a shit what you think, first, first of all. But for the people, because the people that are saying that, the ones that throw the shade at us or, or anybody else that's least to carry versus getting their numbers, they're probably not even an independent, more than likely, because that is so difficult. And the people that, that do get their own numbers and make it past that first two, three years do need to be commended. And do and do do deserve respect because it is hard, um, and it's difficult, especially if they have begun to scale, and they've got a second, third truck, third truck, or they've got owner operators running under their numbers, and they build a real legitimate business. I mean, that's something to be commended. And I've got to believe that people that can make it to that level would never behave the way these knuckle dragging bootlickers do in my comment section. So probably. You know, it's the CB radio of the 21st century. More than likely, those people don't even have their numbers at all. Um, they're just loudmouth truck drivers that are just ignorant. Um, but they have a keyboard, so and they're bulletproof. Um, or they're some ignorant fool that, you know, did the bare minimum, you know, fill out the, what is the MCS 150, got some insurance, got their numbers on the side of their truck, you know, and and still haven't gotten to the failure point yet. They haven't they haven't experienced the catastrophic 
you know, uns, rapid, unscheduled disassembly of their business. Um, and so they're talking trash. Um, I will never, ever, ever recommend someone with zero business experience getting their own authority as a first-time owner-operator. Absolutely not. Never under any circumstances. I feel as strongly about that as I do about leasing a truck from a leasing company or a carrier. It's a recipe for failure and bankruptcy. If you want to be an owner-operator and you have no business experience, go buy a paid-for truck and lease it to a carrier. Do that for a year or two so that you have the protection of that carrier. And Landstar is a perfect example of that. There's so much risk protection here that it is the absolute perfect place for a person with no business experience to buy a paid-for truck and lease it on and go make some mistakes and go learn, learn how to do it. And then if it's your precious heart's desire to go get your own numbers, go do it. But this idea that someone with no prior business experience whatsoever should go buy a truck, should go lease a truck, should go get payments on a truck and a trailer and go get their own numbers and 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 go get their own insurance, just it's putting a loaded gun to your head and pulling the trigger. It's stupid. So absolutely not ever under any circumstances should a person with no business experience get a leveraged truck and get their own numbers. Never, ever, never under any circumstances. It's stupid. It's a recipe for disaster. And let me say it for the record, I don't care what you think about that because I have seen the destruction I mean, uh, let's see. I've got two working for me right now. No, one. We had a guy that owned a truck, had five trucks in the height of the market, five trucks and five trailers, all gone. All, every bit of it gone. In the middle of lawsuits, being sued. I mean, it was just... And yet people are just, oh, yeah, man, get your own numbers. Get your own insurance. It's the best way to do them, okay? It's, it's absolute lunacy. Now, will there be some outlier 3 to 5% that will do that and survive? Yeah, they will. But that's ignoring the 90% that will do that and end up bankrupt repossessed, foreclosed, you know, sued, God knows what else. It's absolute lunacy. If you want to be an owner-operator, which is a, even today in this terrible market, this is the best time to get in, really. Because you learn how to survive now. When you get to those markets like we had from 18 to 22, I mean, you, you just take wheelbarrows full of cash to the bank, you know, if you'll get off your ass and go to work. Now, if you want to sit around and, you know, with your thumb up your butt, no, don't do that. Um, yeah, Chico, with the business experience, you better have some mechanical experience and tools to work on it. 
Uh, I'm a self-taught mechanic. Um, I've watched. I'm very observant. I can pick up by watching people do stuff. Um, but you better be willing to spend some time on Google and spend a lot of time on YouTube um, watching videos about maintenance. How does your air system work? How do brakes work? How do bearings work? What's a wheel seal? Because at least if you can understand it. Oh, here's a great one from today. Y'all had these van trailers that have the air-assisted pins for the slider. Driver called me today. He's like, hey, man, my pins won't come all the way in, and I can't slide the the tandems. And I'm like, well, you know, call trailer maintenance. See what they say. Of course, nobody can look at it until Monday. And And I sit there and I thought about that a minute. I'm like, if those pins will move, if they'll move at all, this is not a problem. What? Where's the problem? And I went, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set the brakes. I want you to build the air pressure all the way up in the truck as high as it'll go. I want you to release the trailer brakes, build the air pressure up as high as it'll go. Once it's everything's built back up, I want you to set the trailer brakes, go back there, pull the knob, and voila, and it worked. Because there just wasn't enough air pressure. It was a drop trailer, preloaded. So he picks it up, right? And I even think it had a tire leak, which probably was killing the air pressure because they had to get a tire put on it. And so they're just, it was low air pressure and it wouldn't pull those pins all the way back, you know? But I had to, I had to think on it for a minute. Um, Google and YouTube saved me a lot of money, not just in how to fix things, but also how to be how not to be screwed over at a show. Oh, son, listen. The number of times that I've had to say to people, who's paying the bill? Well, you are. That means I'm in charge, right? Well, yeah. Okay, so that means you're going to do what I tell you to do, not you're, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Well, I mean, we're just making a recommendation. Okay, I've I've heard your recommendation. I have considered your recommendation. I have thrown away your recommendation. And now here's what you're going to do because I'm paying the bill. What diagnostic scan tool would you recommend personally for owner-operators to read fault codes on the go? I don't have one. Phil does. Phil, our platform guy, he's got an international with uh, ISX, I believe. And I want to say it's called OTR something. It's an app. And he said, it was a very logical thing. He said a lot of times, with sometimes with these emissions, they'll have what they call a ghost code, that a code will pop up and the ECM freaks out, but there really wasn't anything happening. And if you clear it, it'll go away. So he has an app. I'm going to text him and ask him what that's called. Um, I, w- I want to say it's OTR something. Uh, what is that app you use to clear codes? I don't remember. Phil. Okay, we'll see if he responds. Um. I do need to look into that. I know the shop that we work with, they have the Detroit computer. They also have the diesel 
laptop. Uh, watching people like Check Engine Chuck and like um, uh, Royalty Auto Service, some of these other people on TikTok, they they have all these different scan tools for all these different cars. I'm hoping we're going to get. I'm hoping that aftermarket uh, that aftermarket is going to come to us because there's some out there, but like I looked at a bunch of them on Amazon the day and um, like it, it's over oh, for Detroit. And I'm like, great, not series 60. You know, it's only D deck six and above. Well, I need one that does D deck four and D deck five. I haven't been able to find one yet. That's like an app. Um, <laughs> Richie just said Phil's most likely drunk in a cow field. <laughs> um, uh, but I ha- I don't know. I-, I would really love to have something that's not a $5,000 laptop. Um, but I- most of, you know, we've only got two D-Deck 6 trucks in our fleet. Everything else is D-Deck 4, D-Deck 5. I know that there it is. OTR Diagnostics, the modern heavy duty scan tool and more. That's the one Phil uses. Uh, I knew it was OTR something. OTR Diagnostics. Um, Detroit used to have a handheld. I've seen them on eBay that had a little card. I can't remember what it was called. Um, oh, Detroit had a name for it. I've thought about getting one of those because it'll read D-Deck 4, D-Deck 5. Um, but, you know, it certainly would be handy. And my God, the, the processing power that these stinking phones have now, we should have something. But the mar- the aftermarket really, really needs to help us here. Um, especially because there's so many freaking N14s and 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 pre-DEF ISX and Series 60 Detroit and 6NZ Cats and 5EKs and there's so much of that still on the road in the owner-operator market um, that it would really be nice to have that aftermarket support. So maybe the nerds in the, you know. Uh, there is an app that works for DD, DD15. Uh, just Google it. I mean, they're, they're all over Amazon, eBay. Um, just Google's your friend, you know, but the car, like the card. So like cars now, they have, they'll have a transmission control module and a body control module and engine control module. And the trucks are getting that way. Like, but our old 2005, 2007 Columbia, it's an ECM. That's it. There's no body control module. There's no transmission control module. Um, it's an ECM out on the motor and in the truck, it's fuses and relays and switches, you know, it's still very, very basic. Um, and, and the codes like you get from the scan gauge are so hard to, cause it's all this SPN and FML or FMI nonsense. And you, you can't just, you know, you got to go through seven levels of hell on Google to figure out it's a damn coolant level sensor shorted out or whatever, you know. Phil says they're having a Black Friday sale, OTR Diagnostics. So y'all go, y'all go get you some. Um, 
$600 a year is what I'm seeing on TikTok. You have to purchase the software or the hardware. You purchase the software. If you get the reset tool, it's a one-time fee of 600 bucks. When it's on sale, I bought the OTR desk and it's hardware's free. You download the app and it's 600 a year. Um, I mean, you figure, and, and I'm pretty, I mean, I'm pretty sure Phil would testify this 600 bucks is one trip to the dealership. Um, and if all you're needing to do is clear a ghost code, um, you know, or do, do just like a reset or, um, I mean, shit. Uh, or like if you could get it to trigger a relearn procedure, you know, we had that on this auto shift a couple weeks ago, a one that puked a clutch, um, but it wasn't shifting right. And you plug it in and you hit a button and it relearns whatever that means. Um, so, I mean, gosh, 600 bucks, that's a bargain to keep you out of the dealership. I mean, $600, they won't pull it off the, you know, from the parking lot into the building for less than $600. Uh, less for than certainly less than a tow. Y'all, we used to have a company that would tow for us for $125 an hour. I mean, I've sent them hundreds of miles away. Well, those days are over. It's now a minimum of 185 plus fuel. Um, that toter that we bought is already paid for itself. I mean, it's paid for. Uh, that was 8,500 bucks, and we've already paid for it with a handful of tows. Not only just in the savings on the tow, but getting the truck back into our control um, and not having it, you know. Um, <laughs> Phil's asking me if somebody's derated. No, I'm on the podcast. Uh, I can get my phone to work. Come on now. Yeah, thank you, Richie. Oh, let's see. Did I miss any? Um, have you made it? Have you made, or is it possible to make an episode about contracts with companies? Well, Richie did tell you episode 96, we talked about the lease purchase scams. If you look for Larry Long Unleashed, uh, that's, we got our hands on a big carrier lease purchase contract and Larry went through it and it was precious. Um, how I listen, I don't, I didn't know much about contracts, but when I was at ATS and I leased a truck from them, 2011, January of 2011, the guy from whatever the leasing company was called, something capital comes in and sets us down. And we went through every line of that contract, every word. Now, 87% of the people in the room weren't listening, but I was. But he literally went through every single line of that contract. Um, and somebody said, hey, man, is this a walkaway lease? And he was like, no, no, it's not a walkaway lease. And it says it right here. And if you walk away from this lease, I will chase you until I find you and you will pay me. Look the dude right in the face. And I bet you anything, he went out of the break room and went, this is a walkaway lease. When the dude literally told him, I will chase you to the ends of the earth to make sure you pay what you owe. I believed him. Um, but that, that contract, 
that particular contract that we got a hold of for a very large North American carrier was garbage. It was absolute garbage. Why anybody would sign that? Well, I know why they sign it. Because they walk, walk them down the row past the big shiny new trucks and their dick gets hard and their brain shuts off. And they'll sign anything. Would you recommend coming to Landstar for flat step deck? I'm out of Dallas. Hell yes. Let me tell you something, my, my brother. Now, asterisk, we have the single greatest platform dispatcher on planet Earth working for us, and you can't have him. But, dude, our platform trailers have been destroying our van revenue by like 30%. Like, it's been insane. We've got a 53-foot flat, we've got a 48 Conestoga, and we've got a 51-foot 51 51 step. Dude, that 53-foot flatbed, holy shit. I mean, that thing prints money, okay? I bet you that tra- that trailer's average week is $8,500 since we put it in service. I mean, it's just a money printing machine. The Conestoga is fantastic, too. The step board, the jury's still out on the step deck. Hey, if you want to... Um, if you would like to buy or trade, if you have a 48 or 53 foot flatbed and you would like to own a 51 foot step deck, send your boy an email. Um, it, cause we're, not, we're not in love with step deck. If you want a step deck, we will make you the deal of a lifetime. If you will trade us, um, for a 53 or 48, we'll be happy with a 48 foot flat. Um, but yes, platform platform has been awesome the last few months. Uh, but granted, that's you know, um, that's because of Phil Hector. So I have a secondary truck with forty thousand rear ends. I do haul heavier weight, about ninety eight gross. With your experience, do you think the truck rear ends can handle the extra weight or no? That is a that is a question for the guy that commented below you. That's not a question for me, because I'm not even going. to. I mean, I kind of think I know, but I'm not even going to try. Uh, can I bring a driver with no hazmat to Landstar? Nope. Everybody has to have hazmat on their license at Landstar. You don't have to haul hazmat if you don't want to. But I want you to be Landstar for just a second, okay? Um, if you have hazmat freight available and you allow someone to come to Landstar that does not have hazmat and you say, now listen, driver, you don't have hazmat, so you're not allowed to haul hazmat. And then they go hook to a load because it's big money and they're desperate. So no. Uh, we're not going to expose ourselves to that kind of foolishness. Uh, and they're generally pretty good about catching it. We have a rule here. We won't let you come. Landstar will let you come for 90 days, as long as you have your fingerprints done. We won't because I had a situation. It was a damn Florida. No, it was Texas. No, it was Florida. The guy lives in, for whatever reason, Florida, I'm not a bone to pick with y'all too. Why the hell is it so freaking hard for somebody to get hazmat on their damn license? 
But I had a guy lived in Florida, passed the test, background check, blah, the whole thing. He had not got the physical license in his hand yet. He's passed the test. He's passed the background check. He has hazmat. And I had him up here. And local agent had a killer load. I didn't think anything about it. I'm like, well, he's got hazmat. He just doesn't have the physical card yet. Well, Landstar shut him down. You know, I'm like, well, he doesn't have it on his license. And I'm like, no, but he, he literally, here's a printout from Florida. He, see right there? It says hazmat. And they're like, nope, he don't have the physical card in his hand because Florida, for whatever reason, takes 97 months to send you the fucking thing in the mail. Florida, get your shit together, please. I've been thinking about doing jet engines. They require Conestoga step deck. Only have limited experience doing flatbed. And when I say limited... I mean, foundry loads of steel plates that required three straps. Yeah. Listen, here's the thing about Landstar. Um, and it always makes me chuckle when I get the knuckle draggers in my comment section. Landstar sucks. Double broker, blah, blah, blah. Listen, there's freight at Landstar that you knuckle dragging Neanderthals will never access. Okay. I'm talking. What was the, I think a freight bill can only go up to $99,999. And I've heard a story about an old boy that had three three freight bills. One load. Listen, the money that it, that that is here is insane. And, and now that I've got, I've been here so long and I've gotten to know people, And I've met people that are in that upper echelon. Y'all couldn't even fathom. Their their trucks will make in a month what it takes us four months to make. Right? It's it's insane. But you knuckle draggers that like to bag on Landstar because, you know, your your buddy came here and failed, and of course it was Landstar's fault. It's not because he was an idiot. Um You'll never get there because you can't stop being a truck driver long enough to ever achieve that level. Because let me promise you, let me tell you a story. We had a team, experienced team, husband and wife team, come to work for us. And they had done some high-dollar stuff. And so I reached out to some friends that we have gotten to know that do that big uh, A&E Super duper high dollar team stuff, and I said, "Hey, you got any contacts for me?" She's like, "Yeah, try calling this guy." Now, listen, he's a little shaky, but you know. So I call the guy, and it took everything in me to keep him from hanging up on me, because he just did not want to talk to me, right? And I at least got him to say, "I'll call you." If I find something now, I've never, ever heard from the guy, but when, when you have a guy that in that, at that time, we're probably talking, you know, seven to $10 a mile team freight. He's not going to put up with your truck driver bullshit, right? You're going to come to him as the best service provider he's ever seen. And if he smells bitch on you, you're done. And you're just done. And they'll never call you again, right? Um, but it's 
It's all about service, right? So listen, go ahead, make fun of Landstar all you want. Call it Landstarve, um, you know, because you think you're cute. And stay away. And st That's the best advice I can, like, if you hate Landstar, don't come to Landstar. If you think Landstar sucks and double brokers everything, hey, there's a real, real simple fix for that. Don't call Landstar Freight. Don't call a Landstar agent. Your problem is solved. Thank me for my service. How much do you save on diesel with Landstar just with their fuel programs? The best way to answer that, because I don't know what your fuel cost is, okay? But our fuel cost, remember, now we get rookies who are not generally in the beginning well-versed in getting good fuel mileage. They eventually get there because Larry whips them with a rubber whip until they do. Um, but our fuel's our fuel cost is generally lower than the national average fuel surcharge rate. So last week, I think it was 53. So our average fuel cost is lower than that. So if you want to know, if you're, say, you're leased, maybe you're mud flap or you're uh, Nastic or whatever, well, divide your fuel cost by their miles and see what your fuel cost is. If it's at or below the national fuel surcharge average, great. But I've seen people on social media saying that their fuel cost was a dollar a mile. Well, ours is uh, 53, you know. So, um, but we are very, very, very passionate about where we buy fuel and how we buy fuel and when we buy fuel because it is our greatest expense. And when you become an owner-operator, it's going to be your greatest expense. Another thing that made me chuckle, I made that little TikTok video about the TA um, restaurant thing, and there was three or four knuckle-draggers. Um, well, you should have sent them home. And I'm like, well, they decided to stay out. Well, uh, you know, uh, I'm like, what am I, their fucking daddy? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell them what they can or cannot do. That's not the point. But of course, they don't the 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 the, the drive by, the you know, they don't know that we're trying to train people to be owner operators. Uh, Hector, I went down. I went from 98 cents down to 81 just from watching your guys' content. Definitely a game changer. I do haul heavier. Okay. Um, yeah, like Phil. Like, I don't know what Phil's – I mean, I've got to imagine Phil's fuel cost has got to be higher because he's, you know, 100,000 pounds or whatever. Um, but, okay, he went down from 98 to 81. Okay. So 98 minus 81 – is a 17 cent difference. 17 cents. If you run 100,000 miles, that's $17,000. Would you rather 
put $17,000 in the bank or would you rather send it to TA, Petro, Pilot, Flying J, and Loves? I don't know about y'all, but I mean, shit, if I could have $17,000 more in my bank just by making a decision of how either where and when I'm going to buy fuel or how hard I'm going to press on the, on the throttle, or the tires that I run, or the oil that I run, or the air filter that I run, or the muffler, and it could save me $20,000, fifteen. I mean, um, $17,000 pay for a hell of a vacation. $17,000 would be like a nice little down payment, a little rental property or something. You know, be a, a nice contribution to an IRA. But no, let's drive like Billy Big Rigger in the left lane, 90 mile an hour with our hair on fire with black smoke rolling out of fucking insane. <clears throat> uh, Chico said, I see a. Series 60 at a dealership a couple of months ago for 60K. Probably uh, probably a glider. And I'm not a big fan of gliders, by the way. And it's a practical thing. It's, you know. Phil says he can get close to seven empty or the very light legal loads. Some of the heavy and wide loads are averaging less than five. I promise y'all Phil's making enough money to cover the spread. Okay. Trucking, I mean, it's what I do. It's what I know. It's what I've done now for 25 years. Um, There's a fantastic opportunity in this industry if you'll do it the right way. Oh, so you're going to say your way is the only way. Our way is the only way to start a trucking business and still have one two years later. Okay. Now you might run alongside of us for 18 to 24 months. Okay. And you'll look like you're doing it. But when that catastrophic thing that is coming comes, you're going to be gone and we're still going to be gone. So, um, the, the, the greatest gift that this industry gave me was a finely tuned bullshit detector. And I finally learned that when I was about to engage with an idiot to just walk off mid sentence, just don't even, you know, that was a, that's a gift that, that this industry has given me, you know, cause let's trust your instincts. When somebody sounds like they're full of shit, they probably are. Looking at more comments, see if anything else has came on. Oh, Bill. That is where most on-rumpers fail by not saving money when times are good and not working hard enough. Right? Larry calls it the Landstar Early Retirement Program. 
that, that uh, company drivers will buy a truck, come over here, and work less. You know, like, um, if I was a young man with no wife or kids, um, if you're hearing my voice right now, and you're between the ages of, say, 21 and 30, and you've managed to keep your uh, DNA in your pants, and, you, and you're single and you don't have any kids, go immediately and pay cash for a CDL school and go somewhere. Doesn't matter where. Preferably somewhere that doesn't have automatic transmissions, but they're getting harder to find. And work there for one year. And don't quit. It's not their problem. You are the problem. Um, doesn't matter. Go to any company and work there for one year and just work. Don't go home. Just work for a year. Live in the truck. You don't need an apartment. You don't need a motorcycle. You don't need a pickup truck. Sell everything that's not bolted down. Put the rest in storage. And go get in a truck for one year. Okay? And when you're done... Go on vacation for a couple of three weeks. Come to me. I will put you in a truck for 18 months. And in 18 months, I will show you how to operate a paid-for truck in any market where you can clear net taxable $150,000 to $200,000 a year. I can show you how to build a fleet where in maybe another five years, you won't have to drive at all. Show me another industry can do that. You know? To go from zero to $150,000 a year income in less than three years with no debt, no, no $192,000 student loan that you'll never pay off and you can't bankrupt. Um. But you got to work your ass off for a short period of time. Go work like an animal for five years. Imagine if you're 25, okay, 25 years old, and you just say, all right, look, for the next five years, I'm going to work like an animal. Have some fun along the way. Go see some stuff. That's one. That's one regret that I had about my first few years in trucking, I never stopped seeing anything. Hell, I passed the Grand Canyon 75 times, never stopped. You know, I went to a couple of NASCAR races, but I didn't, I didn't, I never stopped smell the roses. You should do that, right? You should take some time off here and there, but I don't want you, you don't need three girlfriends. You don't need two motorcycles. You don't need a gambling addiction. You don't need strip clubs. Just go make money and be 30. I mean, you could be 30 with half a million dollars in the bank. Well, doesn't that change your trajectory of the next decision that you make? If you're sitting right now 25, 30, 35 years old and can't, don't have two nickels to rub together, but you could just go work incredibly hard for four or five years 
and be sitting on three to five hundred thousand liquid cash. You don't think that's going to change the next decision that you make, the next investment that you make? I'm just saying. That's what the fuck I'd do. If I could somehow go ahead and get a hold of 21-year-old me in 1997, now I would have to smack the living shit out of me for at least a month every day. Just, you know. But dude, just work your ass off and learn. Because, y'all, we got people that have applied for this program that have been 50, 55, I've seen one that was 70. And they're going, well, I don't have any money for retirement, so I guess I need to buy a truck. And I'm like, wait. Okay. So you don't have any money. And so your magic retirement plan is to go buy a truck. No. No, hell no. Chris, what would you say your biggest lesson you learned from your first go around with owning the truck? Save money. We were, listen, (laughs) y'all, we spent money like Congress, okay? (laughs) It's embarrassing to look back on now. I mean, listen, when, when my, all my shit went down and I got this job with air gas and once a month, like or once every three weeks or something, I had to go to North Carolina's overnight to pick up acetylene and they would put me up in a hotel. And I got these two giant three ring binders. They were like that thick, right? And I went to the bank and I said, can you print out some bank statements for me? She's like, yeah. And I've got like three years of bank statements. And I had one for personal and one for business. And I three ring binder and I went through line by line with a highlighter and a marker, right? And I went through these and I, okay, this was business and this was pleasure and this was food and this was Walmart. You know, I had everything categorized with highlighters. That seminal moment that I pulled the phone out of my pocket in January of 2018 and and posted the message that Larry saw that started all of this, That was a very dark place. Because it was black and white. There was no denying where the money went and where it didn't go, right? So on that day, April 7th of 2017, when the truck broke, and I'm at the Detroit shop, and the dude walks in with the ECM report, and he was like, well, we don't know what broke, but it went to 3,500 RPM, so it's broke. That was over. You know, I whatever it was, I wasn't going to fix it. I know now looking back, I just didn't understand. My revenue numbers were so good. Landstar probably would have given me 10000 I didn't know that at the time. I know that now. But I probably could have gotten a Landstar 
contractor loan up to ten thousand, but it was going to cost probably three thousand for them to take it apart to see. Right, they were going to have to get the oil pan off or get the head off or something to figure out what exactly broke. So there was no point, and it was over. But the biggest lesson was save money because that ca- that catastrophic event is coming, and you can't avoid it. You can't run from it. And if you're already eyeball deep in debt. Going hairline deep is not going to help you. (laughs) Youngsters are a bit soft on average nowadays. You better preach. Um, I don't know that they're any more soft than I was. It's just a different kind of soft. Um. I mean, hell, y'all, when I went to truck driving school in 97, I had never, I'd never been nowhere. You know, somehow I managed to get a map and make my way from West Virginia to Nashville. And I got there. The, the rudimentary and the, and the fundamentals of trucking were better taught back then. For sure. Because there was no, there was no other option. We didn't have GPS. We didn't have satellite. Well, we had satellite, but not everybody had it. We didn't have, there was no cell phones. So a cell phone in a truck was unheard of until about 2000 when it was at least affordable enough to have it. You know, 100 bucks a month for a thousand minutes. We thought, oh, shit, we can't get no better than this. Um, So the fundamentals were taught much, much, much better back in the late 90s and early 2000s than they are today. Because people don't understand hours of service. Like, they understand that the, the, the whatever device they have on their dash tells them if they have time left. But they can't manually calculate a recap. I have not met a person yet that came come into our program that can look at seven days of logs and go, okay, well, this is how many hours I'm going to get back tomorrow. Not a one. They're not teaching it. Phil's giving out some good stuff in the comments here on YouTube, by the way. Bill, the problem with people today, they all want to work Monday through Friday, make five grand a week and not reinvest. Um, yeah, it's, um, my, so my daughter's 17 and it's, you know, trying to find her a car and I'm going, it's gotta be a, like a 2005 model. She was born in 2006. And I was trying to explain to her, I'm like, sis, listen. Okay, let's let's go back. When I was 16, it was 2002, okay? Cars built the year I was born was a 76 model. Cars, born, cars built the year she was born was an 06. Listen, I would drive an 06 all day, every day. 
especially over most of the junk they're putting out now. I, you know, so let's just, everybody calm down. You know, we think we found her one for about 1500 bucks, uh, but she does not need, I mean, y'all, I, I watch these, drive past a high school parking lot and just look. Who are buying these $30,000 cars for teenagers? Like we, when I, you know, of course, they're, the parking lot's double the size it was when I was there. But I remember there was a girl, her mom bought her a brand new 93 Camaro Z28, that first year of that new body style. And one thing I loved about that girl is she appreciated that car. She had the best car in the parking lot by far. But she appreciated it. Like she, I remember her saying one time, she's like, well, you know, I don't need a Z28 Camaro. And she was like this tall, right? She's like, but I just really appreciate, you know, and she, nobody was ever allowed to drive it and she didn't hot rod it and all that stuff. But most of us were driving, you know, little shit boxes as we should have been. And I drive past these high school parking lots. I'm like, holy shit, there's $4 million worth of cars in that parking lot. Jermaine, should I open up my fuel card for my driver's son and get advanced? No. Nope. I understand cash advances back when we had them in the beginning because nobody had debit cards. You know, we debit cards didn't become a thing. What really till the mid two thousands. Um, you don't truck drivers don't need cash advances for fucking cheeseburgers. Um, if like at Landstar, for example, if you need a comp check or a lumper or whatever, we just, they just give you express code. No, do absolutely not. No, no cash advances. Um, it just, it, it creates for bad habits. Um, no, we don't, we don't allow cash advances. Um, because it's just unnecessary. <clears throat> well, y'all, I plan on coming in on here for like 30 minutes. It's been an hour and a half. So I appreciate y'all hanging in with me. Um, <laughs> Larry, there's Larry. He said, cash advances are factoring for employees. Evan, I've got a 2010 Cherokee with a knock oil leak, eats coolant suspension shot. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, Evan, we're going to graciously pass on that offer. Um, anyway, like I said, I was going to do this for 40, for 45 minutes, and it's been an hour and a half. So good news. Larry will be back with – let me look. If you're still watching, look at your calendar, Larry. Um, where the hell did my calendar? Uh, yeah, we will be doing the podcast next Friday because we're having an orientation, new driver coming next weekend. So we will be having, um, uh, a podcast. The whole crew will be here next Friday night at eight o'clock. So, um, I will see y'all then. <laughs>